It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of human and animal dismemberment. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the behemoth. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories, both Abrahamic and pagan, for dramatic effect. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters. Every week, we tell the stories of legendary beasts. We also try and explore their origins to understand what these creatures might mean to us today. This episode, we're discussing the behemoth found in the Book of Job, the Book of Enoch, and the Haggadah. Gigantic hippo? Living mountain? It's too big to tell. Its powers are just as weird. It shakes the earth driving other animals insane. As always, make sure to listen to Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals free on Spotify. The desert sun beat down mercilessly on Zachariah's skin, but he was still able to count his blessings for the day. He had just enough water to keep his animals' thirst satiated. There was even a small skein of water left for him. He'd learned that he could not ask for more from the land than what it had given him. Yahweh had been truly great on this day. The ground beneath his feet rumbled slightly. Several of his goats responded, stamping their feet against the sand. He opened the enclosure and stepped inside to soothe them. Murmuring soft words, Zachariah patted the flesh of his favorite goat, Nor. The goats trusted him to keep them safe, and he'd always done his best to ensure that they were well cared for. But he was only one man, and he could not always keep track of the whole flock. Zachariah felt the hot sand piling over his sandals before he heard the shaking of the pen. The animals around him ground their feet into the earth, bucking their heads at unnatural angles. Zachariah took a step backward, then another. The goats lost all sense. They charged toward their neighbors, goring the flesh from their bones. Nor turned her eyes on Zachariah. With a speed he had never seen before, she charged for him, her head hanging low, set to impale him on her curved horns. He did not have the time to escape. A roar echoed across the dry plain and to the faraway mountains. The sound was unfamiliar to Zachariah's ears, somewhere between the cry of a brass instrument and the deep bass of a drum. It shook the earth so violently that the pen fell to pieces. The next moment, it was over. Zachariah surveyed the land. His enclosure had fallen, but the animals were still in the same place, frozen in terror. 
Nor's body shook violently. Zachariah looked out across the dunes, catching a glimpse of something larger than the ziggurats of the Elamites or the pyramids of Giza. A great creature carved from what must have been a mountain. Then it began to move. In the modern day, behemoth simply means big. We use the word to describe powerful nations, companies, or even bits of media, using it interchangeably with titan or juggernaut. But in the pre-Christian and early Christian world, the behemoth was a Middle Eastern kaiju, or giant monster, lurking just outside the bounds of young and precarious civilizations, the very manifestation of chaos striding the earth. In ancient Jewish texts, the behemoth is depicted as a force of disorder. Yahweh prevents the monster from destroying his creation and places him in servitude. Several folk traditions in the Middle East held that Earth's creatures would fall into their natural, violent, and feral states without divine influence. The behemoth's mighty bellow was said to be one of these means of control. In this way, chaos contained chaos, bending the natural world to man's will at the behest of his master, Yahweh. The behemoth's primordial nature is what makes him so frightening. Just as he pacifies feral animals, God pacifies him. Life finds a way. Chaos is inevitable. And when chaos is a creature bigger and louder than human imagination can contemplate, it's better to stay out of chaos's way. All but the monster's massive legs were obscured by cloud. Though it stood at the very limits of Zachariah's vision, the earth shook with every massive step. His mouth gaped open as the colossal creature traversed the mountains, disappearing on the horizon with one final call. Zachariah walked through the remains of his enclosure. Several of his goats had made it through, many still frozen on their feet, quivering but the rest were a mess of rust-colored, gored corpses. He gathered the meat that was salvageable and placed it in the salt cellar. The few animals that remained were rounded up and tied together. He hacked away at the splintered pieces of wood, building a smaller enclosure. When he'd done all that he could to save his livelihood, he trekked across the dunes, struggling to make sense of the creature that had cracked the sky with its roar. Large tracks were in the sand, zigzagging across the ground. And then they just stopped, right in front of the home of Keziah, a seer and sorceress. Keziah was not generally welcomed in the nearby villages. People came to visit her in secret, offering her gifts of food and cloth in exchange for charms and secrets. Her shack stood at the base of the Great Steppe, the peak above was high and jagged, impossible to pass. Yet the beast had either stopped or disappeared on Keziah's doorstep. It was not his place to question the order of the world, but he could not fight his curiosity here. Whatever had made a new home for itself on this land had terrorized his flock. He needed to know what would come next. Stepping forward, he knocked on the door. She opened it slowly and asked who was there. 
sporting a smile as cracked as her weathered skin. Zachariah's voice shook as he introduced himself. He could not say why it was so urgent for him to come. But she shook her head, tittering softly. Keziah placed a wizened hand on his arm and spoke. We do not know why we come, but come we must. It has been written, and it cannot be undone now. Come, Zechariah, sit. I've waited hours for your visit. He entered her house. The air was thick with incense, and one candle burned on a low table. Keziah told him that her vision of this world was shaky, but she could see the heavens with a clarity that frightened most people. As he sat down on a wooden stool, Keziah said one word, Behemot. She cleared her throat and spat, a glob of something milky landing on the floor near his foot. The behemot had been forged in the heavens before Yahweh began his great work. His home was invisible to the eye, the damned land of Cain, but he left frequently to forage. Zechariah asked what kind of animal the behemot hunted. Keziah laughed hard, a high-pitched whistling sound that made Zechariah's hair stand on end. She coughed, then she spoke. The behemot does not feast on animals, it feasts on chaos. He gave her a skeptical look. Keziah banged her hand against the table. She spoke with more power than she had before. I see you do not believe. You will. It is your path to see it in all of its majesty, the great leveler. And when the sand is turned to salt, it will be felled by a mighty sword. God on earth shall destroy it so that his chosen might feast. Strange as it had been, Zechariah chose to take this as a sign from God to return home and keep his head down. He thanked Keziah for her time, and she escorted him to the door. As he turned to walk away, she offered him one last piece of advice. Keep your eyes open, Zechariah. Your flock was saved for a reason. The sun had fallen below the horizon. The blistering heat was now swept away with the wind. He shivered as he made the long walk back home, his footsteps dwarfed by the large tracks the behemoth had left behind. He heard Nor before he reached the farm. Zachariah picked up his pace despite the ache in his knees. He'd been unprepared for his journey, and he needed rest. But Nor's distress couldn't wait. A large black patch coated the sand in front of him. He put one foot in it and felt his sandal slide. The tang of iron was overpowering. Nor's cries grew louder. Zachariah was no stranger to slaughter, but the volume of blood and offal was making him nauseated. He slipped and slid across the pool. There was only one more dune to cross until he was back on his land, the land that was protected by God. Or at least that was what Keziah said. Hadn't she? Silence welcomed him across the last sandy rise. He called out to Nor, but the stubborn animal did not answer him back. The cluster of animals that he'd tied together in the newly built enclosure had not moved. Nor was at the front of the pack. 
he made his way over to her quickly. She was bleeding from her stomach, already beginning to wheeze and drown. Lines of blood trailed out from under her toward Zachariah's feet. He dropped to his knees, searching for the wound. It was easy to spot, a large hole bigger than both of his fists. Nor was already going cold in front of him. Her breath dropped off to a stutter. The fear that had gripped her earlier when the roar had come across the dunes was nothing compared to the hollowness of her eyes now. But the fresh smell of her blood and the sounds of her distress had been blocking something much more sinister. As Zachariah climbed to his feet, he placed a hand on the next goat for support. With a sickly, wet sound, the body of the goat fell to pieces. The animal beside it collapsed into wet, bloody strips. Again and again it happened, dark red gore sliding to the sand. The monster had returned in his absence, and now Zachariah was standing in a sea of death. Up next, the behemoth wreaks a new kind of havoc. Now, back to the story. Zachariah was not a king or a hero. He was a simple goatherd, eking out his way in the world with the grace of Yahweh after the great flood. But then his animals went mad, bucking and goring each other before a great creature, so massive that all but its legs were obscured by cloud. In the book of Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah describes the origins of demons and the fall of angels along with the creation of giants and monsters. While describing God's days of creation, he writes, And that day will two monsters be parted, one monster a female named Leviathan, in order to dwell in the abyss of the ocean over fountains of water, and the other a male called Behemoth, which holds his chest in an invisible desert whose name is Dundaean, east of the Garden of Eden. The description of the behemoth's location becomes even more fascinating when noting that Cain, Adam's murderous son, was also banished to the land east of Eden. According to Josephus's first-century Antiquities of the Jews, Cain's activities while there included all sorts of wickedness, from committing violence to creating the concept of private property. Cain's actions, however, are marked by their use of order to exert harm, the establishment of fortifications and other measures by which to pursue greed. The behemoth is the patent opposite, a colossal monster who can tear apart even the great fortress's walls in an instant. The behemoth then represents a more unpredictable kind of destruction, the dismantling of civilization by an animal far more powerful than any human construct. The clanging of the town bells woke Zachariah from a dreamless sleep. His hands were shaking as he slid the blanket off his body and crawled to his feet. The smell of blood still lingered in the air. He'd scrubbed until his hands were raw, but he could not get the scent out of the wood or the floors. Nor and her brethren had been taken care of. He was alone now. The bells screamed in his ears, bringing him outside with the daybreak. 
The air glowed a bright orange, but the moon was still high in the sky. The stars were visible. It was not yet day. The western sky was red and orange. His breath caught as he realized. The western sky! He took off running. The village was in the west, and it was burning. Zachariah pulled his scarf up over his mouth. The acrid smell of smoke hit him first. Waves of heat rolled from the village, creating a hazy film that flickered with the wind. He was already sweating, feeling the salt cling to his skin as the water dried up. Screams of the young and the old blurred together into one large chorus of despair. He felt the first kiss of fire across his cheek as he neared the outskirts of the village. It was in a sea of turmoil, with whole buildings collapsing from a great impact. Parents were desperately screaming for their children to return to them so they could flee. He was starting to understand Keziah's words. The behemoth would feast on chaos. But it had to make some first. Anyone who was able to move was running with belongings. Scattered, singed remains of people and animals littered the road. Fire leapt from building to building. None of the villagers were interested in putting it out. They appeared to be feeding it, lighting strips of cloth and foisting them up into the sky, throwing the improvised torches into the darkness. But as the flaming wood bounced and fell back to earth, he realized the darkness before him wasn't the night sky. It was the behemoth. The roar was unmistakable as it forced cracks through clay huts, so loud that it blocked out the noises of distress and the calls for mercy from the dying. Even with the fire illuminating the skies, there was no way to comprehend the behemoth beyond its separate parts. It had the rounded and sturdy legs of an elephant, but they were a hundred times bigger than any elephant could hope to be. Its head was obscured by its immense height, but great white tusks hung down like the jagged peaks of mountains. The behemoth did not drop its head, did not search for food. It had no hunger for people or animals. Keziah had been right about that. It was reveling in the chaos, stomping its feet to crush people underneath them, breaking their houses with its roars. The threads of its tail lashed out through the wind, cutting fleeing cattle in half as it went. There was an unnerving joy to its actions. The creature danced on its legs, swaying to some unheard music as it crushed everything beneath it. It seemed to not know the damage it caused. Zachariah felt a shiver crawl down his spine. He could not get his feet to move. He could do nothing but gawk at the giant creature. It had slaughtered his goats, destroyed his home. It was killing people and animals. An entire town was being trampled by it. It could not be controlled. It would have to be killed. But sand would not turn to salt anytime soon, and there was no blade of God to wield. There was no hope, no savior, only death. 
the behemoth turned its head and roared again. Flaming pieces of cloth soared over Zachariah's head, bouncing uselessly against the monster's hide. The screams of the villagers rang out again in Zachariah's ears. He shook himself out of his stupor and ran to the closest hut. Tearing off pieces of his shirt, he let them catch flame and then launched them toward the behemoth. The cloths dropped limply to the ground. A group of villagers ran from shelter to shelter, trying to avoid the creature. Zachariah watched them reach the outskirts of the town before they disappeared. Others soon followed. He could see more villagers making their escape. Keziah told him he'd been chosen for a reason. This must have been his intended purpose. He had to help. He made his way toward the backside of the behemoth, gingerly placing his hand against one of its tree-like legs. The flesh was hard, like leather armor. The creature gave no sign that he noticed the shepherd's presence. Zachariah pulled at the flesh with his hands, but he couldn't draw its attention. He unlatched a small knife from his ankle and tried to push it through the skin, but he could not pierce the hide. As the creature's legs started to lift up and down to a new rhythm of its own design, Zachariah took several steps backwards. He tripped over an unseen object tumbling onto his back. He rolled head over heels, landing in front of the strangest thing he'd ever seen. An ornate sword jutted out of the sand like a beacon. The silver of the blade was polished so sharply that the surrounding flames appeared to dance in the sharpened metal. He leapt up and reached for the sword. It was cold in his hands, bracing like a desert wind. It was somehow lighter than he'd imagined, tailor-made for him. Zachariah said a small prayer as the survivors continued to flee. This was his purpose, and he was ready to fulfill it. Coming up, Zachariah takes his small place in history. Now, back to the story. Zachariah did not believe the local hermit when she told him he had been chosen for a purpose. But as his little town burned under attack from the monstrous behemoth, the behemoth dancing up above, he realized that everything she'd said had been true. Perhaps he did have a purpose. Perhaps he could make a difference. Perhaps he, Zachariah the Goatherd, was meant to slay a creature of chaos. The behemoth's most iconic appearance comes from the Book of Job. God presents him to Job as an illustration of how powerless man is in the face of God's natural creations. The behemoth is described as having an appetite so large that he had to have a whole river designated as his drinking water in order to avoid him guzzling up the River Jordan in one gulp. There's much debate as to the behemoth's actual appearance and potential zoological roots. Sections from the Book of Job suggest that he moveth his tail like a cedar. Scholars debate as to what cedar refers to. Some believe this could be a reference to the needles of the cedar tree. If so, that might suggest that the behemoth's tail was large and rigid enough to support itself, like a sauropod dinosaur or a crocodile. 
While crocodiles were certainly present in biblical times, they did not eateth grass as an ox, as the behemoth is described as doing in the book of Job. The 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas suggested the behemoth was an elephant, but the elephant tends not to eat like an ox, and the distinct failure to mention a trunk makes Aquinas's hypothesis a bit suspect. When the book of Job writes that the shady trees cover the behemoth with their shadow and the willows of the brook compass him about, it's easy to see why many theologians suspect the hippopotamus. These so-called water horses are one of the largest animals in Africa at up to 8,000 pounds and also played a major religious role in ancient Egypt. A reported ancient Egyptian word for hippopotamus, pehemo, even sounds like the Hebrew pronunciation of behemoth. Ancient African legends describe the hippo as trying to live eternally in the water, only for the forces of creation to convince it to remain on land. These tropes line up almost entirely with Jewish text accounts of the conflict between behemoth and the primordial sea monster Leviathan. It's said that behemoth sought to wrest dominion over the sea from his marine counterpart, but God separated them, binding the behemoth to live on land until the end of days, when the monster's fight begins again. The behemoth had not realized that Zachariah was a threat. Good, he wanted to keep it that way for as long as possible. He'd herded difficult animals in the past, and the trick was always to find their rhythm. The farther away he was, the easier it became to memorize the steps in the monster's strange little dance. Two quick steps to the left, step forward, four steps backward. He walked in a large circle, coming around to the behemoth's rear end. This time, he did not use his hands to reach out and grab it. Instead, he held his sword up and waited for the creature to bring its own weight against the blade. The blade bent but did not snap, but it also failed to pierce through the skin. However, it did prompt some change. The behemoth stopped dancing. Zachariah held his breath and looked up very, very slowly. He was just in time to see the behemoth lower its head from the clouds and began looking down, down, down. He could only see the outline of its head in the firelight. Its countenance was broad and tusked, with fetid breath like a virulent windstorm. The goat herd froze. The creature blinked, then took two steps to the left, dancing again. Zachariah let out an exhale and darted to the right. He tried to control his breathing as it settled into the pattern again. He set his jaw and jammed the sword at the behemoth again. It pierced the hide this time, and Zachariah pushed until he hit bone. The creature let out a scream of agony. The head left the clouds again, swiveling left and right, searching for whatever had managed to wound it. Large emerald eyes met Zachariah's smaller brown ones. Zachariah pulled and pulled until the sword came free, stumbling backward, nearly ending up under the behemoth's other foot in the process. Golden blood oozed out of the creature's wound. 
but it wasn't enough to keep the monster from pursuing him. It stomped its foot and jerked forwards. Zachariah took off running, but the sand was thick with blood and ash. His knees hit the ground and he was rolling to the side as the behemoth's foot smashed down on the spot where he had just been. He held still, hoping he was too small to be spotted. The creature swung its head violently. The edge of a tusk caught Zachariah in the stomach. It was the softest of touches for a creature of such monstrous size, but still he felt the ivory score his torso. It took several seconds for the pain to kick in, but a ragged groan left his mouth as his nerves caught up to reality. He stumbled backwards, his free hand clutching the frayed skin. But the behemoth still seemed not to see him. He was nothing to a creature such as this. Fire swirled around his feet. It was his turn to dance, stamping the flames out underneath him as he balanced the heavy sword and tried to evade another blow from the creature. The movement was more than a little noticeable. A cloud of putrid breath nearly knocked him backwards as the creature studied him carefully. He backed away slowly, but the fire continued to surge around the two of them. Unlike his opponent, he did not have skin that was impenetrable to the flames. He could do nothing but search desperately for a hiding place as his attacker loomed ever forward. He sprinted towards one of the few shacks still standing, barreling past the burned-out door to hide in the back corner of the one-room hut. He could feel the creature's breath as it sniffed around the area, green eyes the size of small islands roving past the windows. The sounds faded and the light receded into silence. Zachariah closed his eyes, saying a prayer. Then the creature crashed against the hut. The walls shook, small cracks pushing upwards and over Zachariah's head. A lump of clay roof fell to the ground, narrowly missing him. Suddenly, the whole house lifted up and away. Zachariah was left staring up at the massive shape. He prayed one last time, and then he charged forward, sliding under the behemoth's belly with the blade up. The creature's stomach opened up just as Nor's had, a sloshing, tearing, spurting sound signaling that its organs were beginning to spill out. But when Zachariah turned to survey his handiwork, he found that it wasn't just viscera spilling out of the beast. Chairs, children's corpses, a wooden sword, giant tree branches, all manner of objects that the behemoth had swallowed tumbled to the blood-soaked ground. But then, as Zachariah watched in open-mouthed astonishment, the golden sinew and viscera began to join back together. He pulled the sword out and drove it into the creature one more time. He would finish this. A leg pushed against Zachariah, this time sending him flying into a pile of debris with the sword still lodged in the behemoth's belly. The monster began to heal again, pulling the sword into its body. 
Zachariah dragged himself up, running straight at the creature, but then he was flying. Giant, rotting teeth had grabbed him and tossed him upward, through the clouds and even above the great monster. In the soft, struggling light of the oncoming dawn, he finally saw its face in full detail. Hard cheekbones cut at sharp edges, almost violent enough to be a weapon themselves. There was a small, round nose with a silver ring through it, large wrinkles in the forehead giving the creature a permanent look of disdain. While the image itself was startling, the silver ring caught Zachariah's attention. A form of control, but not one that could be reached by a human. The creature wasn't just forged by God in the heavens, it continued to be controlled by him. Only those that were about to meet death inside its jaws could catch that glimpse of their creator holding the reins of this beast, the only one strong enough to command and control the forces of chaos. Zechariah had asked for answers when he was owed none, but the face of God and his greatest creatures was unknowable, just like the fate that awaited him now. A mouth the size of his village opened up to greet him. He tumbled into the creature's stomach as it let out a massive roar. The dying night shook. Then Zachariah's world went silent. The behemoth danced into the distance as the flames receded in the cold desert wind. Soon, it was nothing but footsteps, like a far-off thunderstorm. The Book of Esdras says that both Behemoth and its marine sister monster, Leviathan, were created on the fifth day. They were both meant to occupy the water, but they quickly proved they could not get along, and God was forced to separate them, leaving one creature of chaos for the land and one for the sea. But it seems chaos can only be bound for so long. The behemoth and his fellow divine pet, the Leviathan, will throw off their bonds at the end times, battling where the land meets the sea until Yahweh kills them both and feeds them to the righteous. While the Bible and Torah have their share of monsters, they don't feature a lot of the monster-slaying Bronze Age heroics that we see in Greek mythology and other ancient belief systems. This is because the primary narrative of the Abrahamic religions is one of respect, acknowledgement, and submission to the power of God. Even beastly abominations have their place in God's creation, and it's not for man to destroy them for his own glory. But even God struggles to contain Behemoth and Leviathan at times. They're unruly pets, pulling at their leads in order to get to each other. No matter how tightly he may hold them, they're released at the end times in order to fight and die. This presents God as an omnipotent master of unruly animals, giving them their last indulgence before slaughtering them for his righteous followers. But there's also a pagan message here that dates back to the representations of the hippopotamus in ancient Egypt. Hippos are disruptors who can destroy farmers' whole fields overnight. 
There was no stopping these 8,000-pound monsters if they wanted to graze. You just got out of their way. In tying the behemoth to both hippos and chaos, the legend of this massive monster suggests that chaos cannot be controlled so much as depended on to appear. You must bend to such forces if you don't want to break. This teaches a humility that was necessary throughout the ancient world, and modern-day kaiju films like Godzilla and Jurassic Park serve a similar thematic purpose today. They remind us that despite all our technology, our brilliant minds, and our status as God's apparent chosen ones, we are still capable of falling and getting stepped on. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Richet, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson.